0: morning. sort of almost felt with Catherine's little video that we've had a sermon. Uh, If you just sort of went home and reflected on what Catherine shared, it's probably enough. Choices, we all have them. We all make them. But how? What comes into play whenever you make a choice? Especially the sort of big important choices that we all make in life. And what happens when you make or when you realize you've made a poor choice? What do you do then? Well, that's kind of where we're, we're going to be going this morning. This is week three of our journey into the unknown with Abram. And before we read Genesis 13, if you have a Bible, please, please turn to it. But before we read it, let me just uh, retrace our steps or retrace his steps so far. At the beginning of Genesis 12... We listened in as Abraham or Abram heard God's call to go. He heard how God was going to radically alter his life. It would never be the same again. Abram was going to be blessed beyond his wildest dreams and he was to become a blessing. And in an act of incredible obedience, Abram packs up and sets out on this amazing journey with God. And he left Haran. And he moved to the region between Bethel and Ai. And there he built an altar and he worshipped. And that's, if you like, the end of scene one. And scene two starts at Genesis 12, verse 10, where Abraham faces another real test of faith, which this time he fails miserably. Famine kicks in. And instead of seeking God in the midst of mess... Abram heads for Egypt, and everything goes from bad to worse. He deceives, he abandons his wife, he causes serious diseases to be inflicted on a group of people, he loses the respect of a pharaoh, and his witness for God is shot to pieces. And in a very short space of time, he gets everything so wrong. And so as we said two weeks ago, Christians lose their way. Despite how sordid they seem or how sordid they once seem, Christians do the craziest, ungodliest things in spite of everything they know. And Christians make apparently ridiculous and unwise choices, even in light of recent spiritually significant moments, from a high to a low. In no time at all. But with God, and we we stressed this point failure isn't final. And I know some of you, that was all you heard two weeks ago. You've shared that with me. Maybe that's all someone needs to hear this morning failure isn't final. And so a way back, back to the promised land, back on track is provided. And at the beginning of Genesis 13, we discover what happens as Abram returns. So let's stand, please, for the public reading of God's word. Genesis chapter, only 18 verses, we're going to read the whole chapter. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. And there Abram called in the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and the herders of Lot. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Lot looked round and saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look round from where you are, to the north, to south, to east, to west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents and there he built an altar to the Lord. Please take a seat. I, uh, I find it really interesting that Abram makes his way back to the place where he was before he messed up. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. Because according to the text, he returns to the region between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. He revisits the place of worship, where he first built an altar, and he calls, it says, on the name of the Lord. And that phrase, called on the name of the Lord, is an expression that indicates an intentional coming to God, an intentional coming before God in prayer, in praise and in thanksgiving. And I think this is such a brilliant pattern to follow whenever you realise you've messed up. Whenever you know you've got it wrong, this is a great model. And so at the end of Sunday, the 10th of January, I showed this slide, but I didn't say an awful lot more about it. Retrace your steps, re-engage your heart, Reconnect your relationship with God. Abram did that. And as a result, the journey continued into the unknown rather than reached an abrupt end. And as I thought a little more about this, and in light of a few subsequent conversations with different people during the past couple of weeks, I've realized just how critical this moment is in Abram's life. And just how important moments Like these are in every one of our lives. Because whenever you've failed, whenever you've made a mistake, and whenever you've got it wrong, and we all do and we all will, you see, the path you take and the direction you head in from that moment afterwards is going to profoundly influence your short term and long term future. You have a choice. Either you do nothing, you walk away, you beat yourself up, or you make your way back to God. And that's your choice. And Abram made the decision to return, to seek God again at Bethel, which some commentators have called to spiritual home. And Gerald Janssen describes Bethel as a home haunted by memories of promises which sustain hope. I'm not sure about the word haunted. But I love the idea. I love this idea of returning to a place where you can recall and remember the promises of God. And where you can allow that recollection to fuel and sustain hope. You see, for Abram... Bethel was that place. That's where he returned to. That's where he could return the basics, review his situation, renew his commitment, and I'm convinced that as we journey in the Christian faith, we need to keep revisiting that place. Where is that place for you? Where's home? Where's the place you go back to after you've messed up? Where you return, where you, you review, and where you renew yourself. And so if you're here this morning and like Abram in Genesis 12:10 following, you've maybe wandered off course and you've been in a place where you've got it wrong, a place of regret maybe for some of you this morning, then I want to urge you to follow Abram's example. At this stage of his story. And all I want you to hear are two words. Come home. Back to the text, verse 5. Do you know, one of the people who, uh, who feature in this chapter and on this journey is a rather complex and fascinating Old Testament character. His name's Lot. And we know from Genesis twelve five that Lot is Abram's nephew and to date he shadowed Abram wherever Abram has been Lot has followed including down to Egypt so if you like Lot has seen the damage Lot has seen the danger of making poor choices Lot has seen what happens when you don't consult God Lot has observed what happens when you write your own script rather than stick to God's and I want you to hold that thought Whenever Abram returns to the promised land, it says in verse 1, have a look at it, verse 1, chapter 13, it says, Lot went with him. You see, up to this point, these two men shared a history. They'd accompanied each other in this initial stage of the journey into the unknown, but now they're about to go their separate ways. And the reason, we'll look at the final phrase of verse 6. Here's why they went their separate ways. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. This town or this land ain't big enough for the both of us type thing was going on. Financially and material, Abram and Lot had done really well for themselves. According to verse 2, Abram had become very wealthy. But you see, wealth has this ability to create tension between those who have it and those who don't, or even between those who have it and those who have it. Abraham and Lot had it. And it led to dissension and acrimony. To start with, the problems erupted or they kicked off between their herdsmen. They quarreled according to verse 7, but it must have started to spill over, or at least it threatened to spill over into the relationship between an uncle and a nephew. Because in verse 8, please look at it with me. Abram says to Lot, look, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. For we're close relatives. Or as some translations put it, we're brethren. We're brothers. Brothers in the Lord. Now, I don't want to make too much of this. I don't want to take it too far. But I think it's worth making a couple of obvious points. First is, Do you know whenever you live in close proximity with people, there can be friction? I don't know if anybody can relate to that. If not, what's your secret? Second point is this. Whenever you add money into the mix, the potential for hassle increases significantly. Share a house, share a business, share a church with others. And at times there may be conflict. Whenever you add money and possessions into the relationship, you have a recipe for potential contention. So how did Abram handle the hassle? Because let's be honest, as Stuart Briscoe points out, unfortunately our skills at handling friction do not always match up to our skills in creating problems. We're good at one, not so good at the other. Well back to the story, because what happens next is totally unexpected, totally unexpected at so many levels. Abram had every right to call the shots at this point, to take a decision to inform Lot of his Lot, so to speak. But in an amazing act of selflessness, Abram does something extraordinarily different. Everybody, herdsmen included, and you can only imagine the reaction of Abram's herdsmen to this. Remember, they've been scrapping with Lot's herdsmen. So you can only imagine what they think of what Abraham says next. You see, everybody would have expected to hear Abram tell Lot where to go, not in that sense. But instead, Abram gives Lot the choice. He says, "Listen, you have first preference of the land." And the contrast between the Abram of Genesis 12:10 to 20 and the Abram of Genesis 13 is marked because Abraham goes from being self-seeking and self-serving, the selfless, and self-giving in the extreme. So what happened in the intervening period? What led to such a transformation in this man? Answer, and I know we've already labored the point, and in a sense I want to keep laboring the point this morning, Abram had come back home. You see, whenever you retrace your steps... And re-engage your heart. And reconnect your relationship with God. It profoundly and it positively influences your behavior and your attitude. You're transformed in the place of prayer. As Catherine clearly is. You're transformed in the place of worship. You're transformed around this table. But you need to keep coming home there. Abraham in Genesis 13 is just this model of gracious generosity. Back in chapter 12, he's just caught up with himself. Even his wife's safety is put in the line. His preoccupation with me is startling in chapter 12. Whereas having been saved from himself by God, and don't we all need to be saved from ourselves? But having been saved from himself by God and having returned home and reviewed his situation and renewed his commitment, Abraham is now in a place, a very different place, where others matter. It's no longer about him. Echoes of Philippians 2. In humility, value others better than yourself. Not look into your own interests, but look to the interests of those around you. It's hard to do. And where are we this morning? Or what are you this morning? Are you selfish or selfless? Self-centered or self-effacing? Abram says to Lot, "You go to the left; I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left." In other words, you choose, and I'll take what's left or right. Shocking! It's countercultural. It's brilliant. Here was a man who wanted to see and was keen to see others do well. Here was someone who wanted others to succeed. Here was someone who wanted to see someone else get ahead. And whenever you meet a person like that, it makes a real impact on you, doesn't it? Because those qualities in a human being are so attractive. When people are not trying to walk all over you or over others to get ahead, but actually say, listen, you first. You first. And so in verse 10, we reach... A key moment in Lot's life. Because the choice, remember where we started this morning, the choice that Lot is about to make is going to have a significant impact on his immediate and long-term future. And we all have those moments, those watershed moments, whenever the next step you take, the next choice that you make, it's going to have far-reaching implications. And some of you are maybe there this morning. Or you've been there recently. And the problem is that at the time, you often don't appreciate or realize the potential outcome of your current decision. Hindsight's always a great thing. And so Lot looks round. And we discover, and surely this is perfectly understandable, we discover that what Lot sees with his physical eyes tugs at his heart. He sees the lush, well-watered plain of Jordan. It's just like the garden of the Lord. It's just like the land of Egypt towards Sore. It's so attractive. It's so appealing. It's so alluring. And so he chooses to head in that direction. He makes the decision to go east. Lot was rich, but this was a chance of a lifetime to get even richer in such a fertile location. And at face value, seems perfectly legit. Can you really blame him? It's an opportunity of a lifetime. At least, certainly, that's the way it looked from a human perspective. But as it turns out, it was a rash choice. It was naive. It was dangerous. Because, as the story reveals, it was a choice that led him towards compromise. Verse 12 reads, have a look at it. Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. And alarm bells should have been ringing all over the place because, as the telling phrase of verse 13 makes it clear, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You see, heading east was going to be a risky venture because it led him and all those who were with him, including his family, into an environment, into a context where compromise was a real possibility wasn't inevitable and therefore I don't want to make too much of this but it was a definite possibility and the problem with our environment is this that it can and it does have an enormous influence on us it can and it does have an enormous influence on us for good for evil our surroundings affect our behaviour our surroundings alter our our outlook they shape our attitudes and sooner or later you could find yourself up to your neck in your environment. And a thoroughly corrupt environment has the potential to thoroughly corrupt your life and your faith. Get enough exposure to mess and wickedness and evil and eventually it rubs off on you. I'm not for one minute suggesting nor advocating that we live our Christian lives in isolation. I don't believe that's biblical. We don't live in isolation. We don't live detached from the world, removed, bubbleized, if there is such a word. But you see, if you get too close for too long, you will become immersed in it. And I've honestly seen it happen so many times. So many times. Where a culture begins to squeeze you into its mold. And all of a sudden, you get soaked in the values of a society. And in verse 10, we see that Lot pitched his tent near Sodom. But what's absolutely fascinating is exactly one chapter later, whenever Lot's mentioned again, you discover he's living in Sodom. From skirting around the edges and living dangerously close to compromise and wicked, Lot eventually relocates himself right in the middle of it. And the rest is history. Because as the story unfolds, as his story unfolds, you discover that Lot loses virtually everything he had. He barely escapes with his life, thanks to God, whenever God finally judges Sodom. And he ends up drunk in a cave, committing incest with his daughters. And we're unfortunately going to get to that part of the story in a few weeks. And the point is this, that the choices Lot made in that life-defining moment whenever Abraham gave him the freedom to go left or right have such far-reaching implications for this man.